Lone Star 187 is intended for a mature audience. Listener discretion is advised. Case file 27, Ella Bennett. Welcome back. I'm Carrie. And I'm Brittany. And, and we, we are Lone Star 187. All about the Texas. So, sister. Yes. Where are you taking us this week? This week, we are in Abilene again. And Abilene is special to us for many reasons. One, that's where I was born. Also, it was where our very first story originated. Oh, yes. So, we've got family members that still live there, and we go visit there a couple of times a year. So, special place in our heart. And we miss our fam because of the quarantine. We're missing our Easter stuff. Yes, we're quarantined. So I'm going to start this out with a 911 call, and and I'm just going to go ahead and say that if you are sensitive to murders that happen to small children, you might not want to listen to this one. It's it's really difficult. So it was a difficult story to do, but I I thought it was necessary. Um, There's a lot of twists and turns, so you'll thank me in the end if you can fight through it. So we're just going to go right in. What this is about is sororicide, which I had never heard of it. Obviously, it's a thing. It's basically the act of killing one's own sister and is very rare. And according to the FBI, there are only about 35 cases of a sibling killing a sibling each year. So well, that's for you. Do they call it sororicide, like sorority? I don't know. I wondered that myself. I didn't know. Well, I couldn't kill my sisters. I couldn't either. A woman by the name of Charity Lee is at work at Buffalo Wild Wings. And based on the pictures that I saw in the documentary, I think it's the one that we've been to over by our Hampton. Yes. And what is the date? The date is February 4th, 2007. Oh, so this is pretty recent. Yes. Um, Almost midnight. So it's like 1130, 1145 when the 911 call was made. So she's at work and the cops show up. It's around midnight. And so she sees the cops go into the, the manager's office. And the next thing she knows, she hears her name being called over the loudspeaker. So she goes into the manager's office and they basically tell her that her daughter's been hurt. She says, well, can you take me to her? Take me to Ella right now. And they say, well, you can't go because she's dead. Oh, I just got chills. And she says at that point, none of that made sense because when she left for work, she left her son and her daughter with a babysitter that she trusted. Um, And so she said, well, what about my son? Is he okay? And all they say is we have him. And so she said at that point, Everything stopped making sense in her entire life. There was a 21-year-old girl from Hardin-Simmons, so nice. I need to talk to Jessie, um, and she was babysitting Paris and Ella. In a statement she later gave to the police, she recounted that she took the kids out for Chinese food, and they came back, and they were watching uh, the cartoon version of Alice in Wonderland. Ella went to sleep, and Paris went to his bedroom to work on some homework. And then around 10 o'clock... Paris somehow convinced the babysitter that she could go home and that he would take care of his sister. How does a 13-year-old convince a 21-year-old that you're dismissed? Well, I will say this. It's further in the story, but I'll bring it up now. This kid has a very, very high IQ, so he is super, super smart, like right on the verge of being a genius. And I think he's probably really manipulative. Mm -hmm. And anyway, I don't know. I wouldn't do it, but she made that decision. Um, so shortly after the babysitter left, the, according to the detectives, he took a knife. He went into his sister's bedroom. He is 13. And at the time, Ella was four, almost five. Oh my God. She was about to be five. Yeah. So he goes into her bedroom and she was asleep. And he proceeded to beat and choke her and stab her 17 times. Oh, my God. I'm glad she was asleep. Me too. Then he spent six minutes calling a school friend before he waited a couple of more minutes to call 911. So he really wanted to make sure she was completely dead. Um, Yes, absolutely. And so then the 911 operator is trying to get him to perform CPR. So he's going along with it and saying, okay, yeah, I'm breathing. You know, I'm doing this. I'm doing that. But when the cops got there, they found no evidence of CPR because, you know, being in the medical field, if you perform CPR on someone, you'll know there'll be evidence. It'll be on like he would have had 
her blood on him. Her sternum might have been messed up, but she wasn't disturbed at all. Like well, where she, he left her in the bed, because the the operator said you need to put her on the floor, exactly. lay her flat. She was still in the bed where he left her. So he well, didn't not even, only that, but you can't carry on a conversation with an operator when you're giving CPR. No. You're so out of breath. He did. He so he pretended to do it, but he didn't. In fact, the report showed later on that he wasn't even in the same room with her when he placed a 911 call and was walking around the house instead. Um, One of the police officers that interviewed Paris the same night of the murder uh, in his report wrote, at times during the interview process, Paris would appear as if he were attempting to cry. However, he did not appear to be sincere with these attempts, and at no time did any tears come to his eyes. I mean, I don't want to call him a bad name because he's not a bad person. He's only 13. He's only 13. But that's really sad. So we'll get into that. All right. So let's talk a little bit about Ella. She was born in, on April 12th in 2002 in Newman, Georgia. She, she and her family moved to Abilene in 2004. She went to pre-K at Abilene Christian School. Um, her mom explains or describes her as being bossy and opinionated. She was an extrovert, very outspoken, and very smart. She would walk into a room and say, I'm here. Y'all can have fun now. Mm-hmm. Um, she wanted to adopt half of her pre-K class because they would get into fights with their mom or something else. It didn't matter if they were having trouble. She just wanted to bring everybody home. Uh, her mom said that she fit a very large personality into a very small body. Uh, one time she went to stay with her grandmother for the weekend and she came out for breakfast and she put her, her hand, she puts her hands on her hips and says, talking to her grandmother, well, mama, I love you. I don't care if my mom hates you. I love you. Oh my God. Whoops. We have one of those in our Little house, family so. drama there. Um, so now let's talk about the mom. So her name is Charity. Uh, one of the things that she said during the interviews after she heard about what happened and she's reflecting. She says that she hates Super Bowls because that Sunday that that it was a Sunday that that happened. It was a super it was a Super Bowl Sunday. It was and I had to look it up because I don't hate football. It was Super Bowl 41. And for those following along at home, the Colts beat the Bears 29 to 17. Nice. So there you go. There's an answer question. And it kept showing the house in the, the documentary and it showed 817, but I could not find like where, what house they lived in and what street. Otherwise we can go figure, maybe we can figure it out later. Um, so let's back up a little bit. Let me explain how I came about this story. So, um, and this is a really good thing for the quarantine, a really good thing to watch. Um, it's a documentary, Amazon Prime. Okay, so the documentary is called The Family I Had. And I wasn't really sure what it was about, so I decided to watch it, and then, bam, the story unfolded. So I thought, I have to cover it. I absolutely have to cover it. It has so many twists and turns. It's crazy. Okay. Charity is reflecting back on the night that all this happened. So she says when she gets home, so the cops let her follow them to her house, right? Because she's like, I need to see my son. Um, So she said there were news, media was everywhere. Their neighbors were all outside, and the entire street was lit up with lights just flickering everywhere. And so they brought Ella out. She was in a body bag. She said it was zipped up to her chin. And she had blood coming out of her mouth. And she had a very large contusion on her forehead where she had been punched. So Charity is screaming to her daughter, I'm sorry I wasn't there. Donna Kleeman is one of the officers that was working for the Abilene Police Department who arrived on the scene very shortly after Paris made the call and says that she is haunted by the memory of Charity seeing her daughter that way. Um, And you heard me getting choked up just reading it. So I can't imagine. I mean, I know we talk about we like crime and all that. I know I couldn't be in homicide because that kind of stuff right there, I would be done. Like I I would want to go kill that little shit myself, even though, you know, close to the end, we'll figure it out. But so they took Ella away and then everybody left. And so several hours later, uh, Charity found herself sitting in the defense attorney, defense attorney's office, trying to take care of the only kid that she had left, right? They were in this room, and she said that Paris positioned himself in a chair at the very back of the room. And he looked at her and said, used to say that you would never be able to kill anybody unless they hurt one of your kids. I bet you didn't think it was going to turn out like this, so what are you going to do now? (gasps) Mm -hmm. I know, I have chills. 
Yeah. So they moved him from, uh, they put, took him to the juvenile justice center um, and they're holding him before sentencing. Charity looked at her son and said, I know you did this on purpose. I know you're lying. She said, and he, she said he got really, really, really quiet. And then there was this entire shift in his demeanor. And he said, um, it was like looking at somebody else that I'd never, ever met before. And he started laughing and said, well, it took you fucking long enough. He's 13? Yes. Oh, my God. Yeah. So she went through some rough times. And so one of the things that she used to tell him is that one of these days you'll have to remind me how you saved my life. But she said, at the time in which all this happened, he basically destroyed it. They're talking to Paris about what happened. So he tells them that he attacked her while he was having a hallucination. And that he was asleep next to Ella. And he woke up to a demonic version of his sister. She was engulfed in flames. And she was laughing at him. And that's why he did it. He was afraid and decided, oh my God, I have to kill her because she's going to kill me if I don't. So he said after he killed her... His original plan was to wait for his mom to come home from work and stab her. The only reason he didn't go through with that plan is that after killing his sister, he realized that it was much harder to kill somebody than he thought. I thought she was on fire. Yeah, exactly. Was on fire too? Yeah, good question. Yeah. Um, and the second reason is that if he killed his mom, she would have only suffered for 5 or 10 or 15 minutes, however long it took him to kill her. If he let her live without Ella... She would suffer the rest of her life. Oh, my God. That mm -hmm. is so morbid. Obviously, his one of his motives was to punish her, you know. He said that for many years that there was this hot flaming ball of wrath in the pit of his stomach, and it was directed at, at his mother. He said he always knew that the most devastating thing to his mom would be the loss of one of her children. And he found a way to take both of them away in one fell swoop. Well, yeah, because now her son is going to go to jail for the rest mm -hmm. of his life for killing his sister. Yep. Um, I know it seems like this is short, but there's so much more to come. So several months later, from April to August, um, he was sentenced to how many years in prison do you think he got? Well, he's 13, right? Mm -hmm. So won't they give him first as a, they won't try him as an adult, right? Yeah, they can't because he's so only 13. He'll go to juvenile hall till he's 18 and then he'll go to prison for 25 years. Okay. He got 40 years, which is the um, highest sentence a juvenile can get for murder in the state of Texas. Amazing. Uh, and it says he's eligible for parole in 2027. And if he doesn't get released, then he won't be eligible until 2047. Damn. Um, and he's in he's in Huntsville in the Ferguson unit. In the Ferguson unit. Charity never really tried to get Paris out of the charges against him because she knew, like, there's really no reason. Like, what's the point? You know he did it. He admitted to doing it to the 911 operator. Well, and clearly he's not in, have any remorse. No. And he wants you to suffer. So yes. why would you want to do anything? If that's where he wants to be and that's what he did, and apparently he hates you. Right. And he wants to see you suffer. Working Why would you try him out? He's just going to make your life more miserable. Absolutely. And who knows? Maybe it would happen to you, too. Like, you don't know. If, yeah. he, if he thought about potentially killing you at one point, is that magically going to go away now that you helped him get off? No. Mm -hmm. What she was trying to do, though, was get him into a mental institution because he was a minor and she didn't want them to just lock him up and throw him away. So she told the DA that she would pay. She would pay to have Paris put in a mental institution, even if it meant that he was there for the rest of his life. Um, but the defense attorney wanted not guilty. What the fuck? It doesn't make any sense to me, you know? Mm -hmm. um, the prosecution wanted him to get the maximum sentence possible, you know, which I get, but that doesn't help his mental situation. So then he just gets thrown in jail and you forget about him. Right. So he does have an IQ of 142. Uh, he's very artistic. Um, he, his mom said he started drawing when he was three and he was a very calm child. But here's where things went sideways. When Charity got pregnant with Ella, he wasn't the only one anymore, right? So once... The jealousy cooking there? Pretty much. Uh, but once Ella was born, you know, he fell in love with her. Everywhere they went, Paris was always right there by her side. Um, Charity was surprised and even admired how well the two of them got along. And of course, Ella loved her, her big brother and everything he did, she wanted to do. 
Um, she called her brother her fashion consultant because he picked mm. out her clothes for her every day, you know, and there's some pictures of them. They're so cute together. And so now we introduce Kyla, which is their grandmother. So this is Charity's mom. Mm-hmm. And so she comes out and says that she knew. She said everyone knew that there was something wrong with Paris. He was different from the time he was born. She says when Ella was born that Ella could do no wrong. But Paris couldn't do anything right. And so suddenly, he wasn't the center of the universe anymore, and he became very antisocial. Well, not to take anything away from him, but Ella's a girl. Well, I think as a parent, you have to try to find a balance. And I'm not blaming her. Like, I, I don't know. I didn't live there. You can watch the documentary for yourself. I mean, they're very honest and open about everything that happened. There are home videos that you can watch. And even watching the home videos, you can kind of see some of the tendencies that you're like, "Mm." like if I were a mom and I had those videos and I went back and watched them, I'd be like, shit, you know, some of it's real obvious and some of it's real subtle. Um, I think you just have to find that balance. Although I'm sure that there was a point for Savannah where she felt the same way because there's a big gap. So for almost five years, she was the only child and then here came Brenna and it was Brenna, Brenna, Brenna. So Savannah might, you know, have felt a little bit of jealousy, but Mm -hmm. I really did my best to make sure that I, I included her and gave them both the same amount of attention. Yeah. So. Well, and boys just need different kind of attention than girls do, especially from their mom. You know, like Jack needs things from me that Callie doesn't need and vice versa. So it's not so much that you give one more attention, it's a different kind of attention. I mean, all kids are different regardless of their gender, but especially being boys, you know, they're... Like, Jack, he needs me. You know, he needs me to do stuff for him. But I also feel like he needs me a little bit less in a lot of ways than Callie does because he's a boy. And there's well, and he that is I a little bit do. older, too. Yeah. By 15 months. Yeah. So, and, and clearly, we haven't said a lot about his dad or men. So, Charity's kind of doing this on her own. So, she is a single parent at this point. So, really, Paris, his mom is really all he has right now besides his grandmother. After the sentencing, the assessor, who I think was the um, the person that assessed Paris's mental state, told Charity that she deserved to know that her son was, in fact, a sociopath. She hired a psychiatrist whenever Paris was 15. They agreed that if he had been 18 and old enough to qualify for the label, they would have diagnosed him as a sociopath. But because he was not 18, they couldn't actually give him that diagnosis which is crazy isn't it um he confessed to having homicidal thoughts since he was as young as eight years old um often expressing them through violent and disturbing drawings so they're when you watch the documentary they have like they're they do um like animation of the drawings and those are his actual drawings that they're doing and i gotta tell you it's some of it's a little bit and no one was worried about these drawings he was doing And then once he became an adult, he refused any further psychological evaluations. And in several articles, he was referred to as the genius psychopath. So this documentary is called The Family I Had. It was filmed in 2017, and it was directed by Katie Green and Carly Rubin. And I, like I said, I watched it on Amazon Prime. Uh, And it won a couple of awards, um, Outstanding Documentary and Best Documentary. And like I mentioned about the videos, there are a couple of snip, snippets that are recorded by Charity. One of them, um, he grabs Ella's head with both hands and starts moving her head really fast to the left and to the right. And then Charity makes him stop. How stop. old was the baby? Was she a baby? She was probably a toddler. Like, she was walking. So she's probably like 18 months. Yeah, they're like in a bouncy house kind of thing. Another one shows him asking his mom a question about what her least favorite word is. Then he changes it to her least favorite sentence. He throws out a couple possibilities. Um, he throws out butt crack. <laughs> he said, no, your least favorite sentence. And then she says, I don't know, kind of blowing him off. And he goes, kill Charity's children. And she says, Paris. And then the camera kind of falls and you don't hear anything else. Yeah. Fucking scary, oh right? God. His, his grandmother comes into the documentary and she says that when he was little, he would bang his head against the wall until it would, until it would bleed. A couple of times he threw glass all over the pla- the house. She said that she always thought that Paris would take out Charity, take this, take his anger out on Charity, not Ella. 
she said that Paris tried to stab Charity with a knife one day. So they took him to a psychiatric place in Wichita Falls. And, but Charity wouldn't let her mom go with her to go pick him up. Because I think she probably knew her mom would be like, he needs to stay mm-hmm, here. Mm-hmm. So, she, so she went by herself. It wasn't until Ella was killed that Charity finally told her mom that she was told Paris had homicidal tendencies. But she wasn't surprised because she kind of already knew. Yeah. And that happened in 2006. And I'm sure. So a year, she, almost a year before this whole. And I'm not blaming his mom. But if you had an inkling and you didn't do what was best for him, then you are a little bit responsible. A little bit of an enabler, right? You know, I mean, we've known people to have some weird behaviors, you know, thoughts. And we're like, "Mm, that's kind of scary because Mm -hmm. that person one day could do something, you know, and we have those inklings and we've talked about it. Clearly, no one's going to do anything about it. But still, I mean... When you have that inkling, you have to make your voice known. Yeah. And if no one does anything, no one does anything. But you can't, I mean, as a mom, I mean, look, I mean, we've gone through stuff with Jack where I'm like, something isn't right. You know, we got to make him better. Mm-hmm. What do we do? We take him to a, to a psychi- psychiatrist and we have him talk to him and see what's going on in his head. Because mm-hmm. worst case scenario, nothing's wrong. But right. then you have peace of mind knowing I've done everything I can to help my child. And there's nothing, and I'm not going to say the word wrong because it doesn't mean that they're wrong. But there is nothing medically going on with him. No, it's just he needs, he's just had some trauma that he right. needs to process. And he's right. too young. The trauma happened at a really young age. And he doesn't know how to process it. Right? right. So it's just like comes out in anger. So the reason that Charity didn't let Paris stay at this uh, mental institution is that she didn't believe that they could help him. Um, that was the reason that she said. And she he, thought that she could? Maybe. I mean, she says mom. But I mean, I guess maybe she thought so. But still, even as a mom, like, we can only wear so many hats. Right. You know, I mean, we are a nurse at best whenever they're sick. You know, we're not a doctor. Right. You know, we are um, an assistant chef in the kitchen. We are not a main chef, you know, so we get by, but we're Mm -hmm. not the experts. And we can be the DJ, we dance, we like dance moves, but, like, we're not professionals at any of this stuff. And a lot of it is just you got to trust your gut and your instinct. And maybe she thought she was, maybe she was trusting her gut and her instinct and maybe it was just off. Like, you just, you don't know. Everybody's different. So I'm really, really trying hard not to pass any judgment on her because I'm I'm not in her shoes. I don't know what it was like. I know what my life is like and what I've been through. Um, So let's get a little bit deeper into Charity's life. So at the time when I record, when I did the story, she was 47 years old and I found out that she mentions in the documentary that when she was six years old, her dad was murdered. Mm. Uh, she was also a crazy teenager who was strung out on heroin. By the time she was 17, she skipped the seventh, uh, she skipped the 10th grade, but then went on to graduate with honors. Um, about a year after she got sober, she met Paris's dad, but she was miserable and still missed drugs because nothing else took the edge off. So she made her deal with her. She made a deal with herself that if she wasn't happy within a month, she was going to OD. She was going to commit suicide by overdosing on heroin. And she got pregnant with Paris. That's how he. Saved then her she life. found out she was pregnant with Paris. There you go. Um, it's a sweet story. Which is why she says he saved her life because it didn't matter how hard things were now because she had him to look forward to and she knew okay I've got this responsibility. This is my my child. I have to stay clean for my child. Yeah, and there's no love like the love of your child. Absolutely. 100% unconditional forever love. Complete, completely. But Paris's father left not long after she got pregnant. So she's a single mom. And Paris was born in October of 93. Uh, when he was 17 months old, his father showed up in his life again. Uh, and his father had been diagnosed with paranoid schizophrenia with audio and visual hallucinations. Oh, my God. Mm-hmm. Charity's been married twice, once to Ella's father and once to a guy named Brendan. Um, it's funny in the documentary, she talks about Brendan, how like he was a swimmer and he had like a really nice butt. It's pretty funny. You got to see it. So, but Ella's father had problems with alcohol. Charity got a phone call one day saying that Ella's father was in the hospital. A state trooper had pulled him over and asked him to get out of the car and he didn't want to. So the officer reached into the car 
and Ella's father popped the clutch and drugged the state trooper 75 feet up an exit ramp. Oh, my God. (laughs) The officer shot him through the leg, and after that, she said she was done with him, and she wasn't going to subject her kids to that kind of shit, so he was out of the picture. Kudos to her. Yeah. She did briefly relapse on cocaine when Paris was 12, so this was in 2005, Uh, and Ella Ella was three. Uh, And this relapse lasted for about three months, but this forced Paris to have to step up and take care of his sister. Um, And I think by this, he probably felt betrayed and neglected and Mm -hmm. felt like the drugs were more important than him. So maybe that's where some of this animosity and, and maybe he was jealous about his sister and maybe that just compounded. Even though he says that isn't the one reason why he murdered Ella, um, he said he felt like she put her addiction before him. Charity says, the only regret I ever had about my own personal behavior is my relapse. Uh, But she hasn't abused drugs since Ella's death. So life for her after losing her daughter was pretty difficult. Uh, One example she gave was that she was uh, in the the grocery store in line. And remember, this is Abilene, right? She started to go get in line and somebody blocked her path and shouted, I know who you are. You should watch your son be executed because he, he is a monster and you raised him. So she said she like took a deep breath, gathered all her strength and told the woman, ma'am, I don't know who you are, but you really need to get counseling. Well, she I said she, she left her groceries and ran out of the store. And she said there were other moments just like that one. But she said that other people um, often have that opinion at first. But they change it once they've talked to her. And once they talk to her and hear her story, they offer compassion. She's very, very smart. And she's very articulate. Like when you watch the documentary, she's like, she's very charming and very um, matter of fact. And I mean, she seems like somebody that we would like, somebody really cool that we'd probably hang out with. And we've probably seen her. Well, and you can't, you can't be mad at her. Because of a 13-year-old's actions, especially when you hear what he has to say. Well, I know it's her son, but she didn't tell him to do it. No. I mean, she was a hardworking mom. She was at work. Her kid was with a babysitter. And that was just like any other night when she worked. So it's not like she planned it or... No, and it's not like she was abusing her children. No. And he just did to her. She loves her children. There is no doubt. You can tell. It's not like he did to Ella what she did to him. Right. he was trying to save her from being beaten. You know, like... It's not like it was a way of, of trying to keep her safe Save or her. anything like yeah. that, you know? Yeah. I mean, she, you can't, I would not, I don't blame her. No, no. She's, she's a good person. So even though Paris continues to say that he doesn't suffer for, suffer from any mental illness, he told the directors of this documentary, I chose to do my crime and I take full responsibility for my crime. And I wouldn't say there was a predisposition to what happened. I'm not insane, and I don't suffer from mental illness. Yeah. So the documentary is awesome. Um, but the, the, originally, the filmmakers intended to, um, the purpose of the documentary was to investigate the juvenile justice system. Okay, mm-hmm. that's what it was about. That's why they chose him. Um, you know, a system capable of putting somebody like Paris behind bars for 40 years with not even trying to help him to be rehabilitated, right? So that was what... That was the purpose of it. But as they allow Charity to tell her story, they realize it wasn't just about this little boy that killed his sister. It was about this cute little boy who was an amazing artist and who's in home movies with his little sister. And so it just, I think the story evolved and the reason for their, the the reasoning behind the documentary changed as the story unfolds. While they're interviewing Charity's mom, Kyla, In the documentary, it's crazy. She decides to tell them that she was the prime suspect in her husband's murder in Atlanta. Oh, my God. Remember, Charity's father was killed when she was six. Now, the mother, Kyla, was acquitted. So the filmmakers asked Charity if they think her mom did it or not. And here's what she says. My mother and my son are a lot alike. I don't think that my mother is as deviant in some ways as my son is. I think they are both able to detach emotionally or not attach at all. I think my mother was complicit or complacent with what happened to my dad. My mom is not the clueless type. It makes you wonder, and that's the thing with my mom and my son. You can get in their heads to a point, but then they go off somewhere that most of us don't go. 
see how like deep she is. It's crazy. Well, and I will say, in um, when I was in school and we covered mental disorders, it's very common for mental disorder mental diseases to skip generations, mm-hmm. where parents, you know, like one person will have it, the next their yep. children don't have it. It's very common. Next will you know, mm-hmm. and so it would make sense that it was the mom and not charity, right? And then Paris and not Ella, right? Like, this shit's happening. So I have to pause the documentary, and we have the newspaper.com thing. So I go down this rabbit hole to figure out, I want the true story. I want to find out. I want to basically validate her story about her dad. So while researching, I found a a memorial site, a grave memorial site that was written by Charity. And here's what she says. In 1980, when I was only six years old, my father, James Robert Bennett Jr., was shot multiple times in the back in the back with a 357 magnum early one morning in our home mm-hmm. his accused killer was arrested charged tw- tried and acquitted had she not been acquitted the death penalty would have been imposed i knew this woman well she is my mother so she did shoot him hold on so then i had to do more research about this killing because how did she get acquitted Fucking no. <laughs> this is what I'm saying. Okay. June 1980. So then I, I went back to the newspaper articles. And this is not a Texas crime. So Ella was killed in Abilene, Texas. Right, right. But her dad, no, this happened in Atlanta. So in June of 1980, Robert Bennett, who was her dad, he was a, a trucking executive, was gunned down in his home on March 11th, two days after he and his wife were, re- were remarried in Las Vegas. One month after the shooting, Mrs. Bennett, who was a part-time employer employee of the trucking company, uh, and a guy named Clarence Jones Phillips were indicted on murder charges. The state is contending that Miss Bennett caused her husband's death by conspiring with Phillips to have Bennett murdered. The trial was set for July 21st. <laughs> her trial was set for July 21st. The amount of dried blood and the presence of powder burns on the shirt indicated that um, he was shot at very close range. He had little to no chance to defend himself and fell and died almost immediately. Uh, The pathologist removed four bullets from his body. They placed the time of death between 8 a.m. and 10 a.m. He was last seen by his wife, their daughter Charity, and a live-in babysitter named Rosalind Staples. Miss Staples found the body and got a neighbor to call the police. Miss Bennett told the police she left with Charity and Miss Staples around 8 a.m. She made stops at several places, including her daughter's school, the dry cleaners, the bank, and the post office before going to the trucking company. Once she got there, she called the house to see if her husband was awake, but was told by police who answered the phone that there had been trouble. So she went back home. She would have received $100,000 in life insurance. Um... That's really not very much. That he purchased the previous week. It's really not very much. But he didn't get the policy because he failed to pass a physical exam, <laughs> which is hilarious. My motherfucker was um, already dead. And he was robbed of, his, of at least $21,500 worth of jewelry and cash. The shooter used bullets that have been out of manufacturer for nearly three years okay and so would a professional hitman use some old ass bullets no no they would only not. Barney five <laughs> um others testified that professional killers use, usually use 22 caliber not 38 that were used on mr bennett oh and they rarely steal personal effects from the victims yeah that's as true. we know okay so the trial was um the trial was compared to that of a Perry, Perry Mason episode. Uh, the witnesses were, uh, they had so many inconsistencies. They made the trial very complex. It was also reported that Mr. Bennett was romantically involved with at least three women in March when he was shot to death. Oh my God, hope. Sources say that he had, that Mr. Bennett had an arrest record that some of his associates had been suspected by police of being connected to organized car theft rings and bootlegging. They're talking to Kyla about what happened, but they're secretly secretly recording the conversation because they want to know what really happened. But during the interview, so during the interview, she says, so there was this guy that approached her about killing her husband. And at the time she was very angry. She was like, I'm not going to have you kill my husband. What are you talking about? But she decided, you know what, out of curiosity, let's just go ahead and talk about it. Right? Yeah. 
Curiosity. And this other guy, of course, was the guy Phillips. Um, the detectives bring her to the police station under the guise that they just want to talk to her about her husband's death, right? That way she'll be honest. So recording device was put in the place in the office where the interview was conducted and the conversation was recorded, but it was recorded in another room. So the tape was really bad. You couldn't really hear it. The device was old. The freaking air conditioner was loud. So you couldn't really make any of that. This is really a big shit show. They did get her to sign a waiver. She seems really stupid because they got her to sign a waiver saying she had been informed of her rights. So they were able to use the recording, but they were like, you know, we can't really fucking understand what it's saying. So whatever. And she keep the what they keep hearing her say is it was pure curiosity because I didn't believe things like this went on. And then whenever I had this conversation with this guy about potentially killing my husband and then he's ends up dead, I thought, oh, my God, they're going to think I did it. And then also out of curiosity, I handed him twelve hundred dollars yeah, exactly to have him killed just to see if that was how the process went, right? Yeah. So Miss Bennett took the stand in her own defense and said that she fired her husband from the company because there was a tax lien against him, and any wages that were paid to him would have been taken by the government. And she says that this guy Phillips brought up killing Bobby for a price, and she told him she wasn't interested. And she said that her husband was sneaky and cunning and that she didn't put it past him to ask Clarence to ask her that just to see what she would say. So basically, she said her husband made him ask her that question, whatever. Mr. Bennett, Kyla were married in 1972. They divorced two years later, but they stayed in touch. In 1976, they decided to open a business together. And in 1978, he started drinking heavily and spent most of his time with other girls uh, while she took more and more control over the business. And she admitted that the night that he was dead, that he was killed, that they were very mad at each other because he took a woman, another woman to Florida back in February. Cheaters. Yeah. She called it one of our famous fights. um, And this happened shortly before he was shot. She said they acted very nice when he came back from Florida, and it was at his suggestion that they leave for Vegas the next morning to be remarried. We decided we would go ahead and get married and try for the hundredth time. He told her he was worried about things that he said were fixing to happen during the next few weeks. And so he said he bought a gun. She said he bought a gun uh, the night before he was killed for protection. Uh, she broke down when they asked her to describe the 29 days she spent in jail. Wait, so uh-huh. Uh-huh. like the day before he gets killed, he buys a gun for his safety and like we're supposed to believe that she didn't instigate that? Mm-hmm. It's bullshit, isn't it? Remember, she gets acquitted. Can we just throw that in there right now? Um, in, uh, she was in the cell. She read all the books they had and then she couldn't get any more. Oh, my God. She gets on my last fucking nerve. So July of 1980, a jury of seven men and five women acquitted her. Uh, Judge J.W. Williford said that this was the most bizarre case in his memory. He says, I've never seen a case with so many angles, so many reasonable hypotheses. Miss Bennett broke down several times during the course of the 11-day trial, weeping silently as the DA displayed her husband's bloodstained shirt to the jury while she was on the witness stand, she said that she loved Bobby Bennett since she was 16 years old. And in his, in his closing argument, the defense attorney told the jury that his clients, one great sin was that she was in love with Bobby Bennett. Oh, so here is Bennett from the, the show The Ranch. <laughs> yeah. So what evidence did they have that she... They was, didn't really have any evidence. That's the problem. Is they really didn't have any. So it was mainly circumstantial in her curiosity mm-hmm. to have him possibly killed. Well, unfortunately for him, he was doing a lot of shady shit. So it was pretty easy. Not pretty easy. It was fairly easy uh, for her to say it was somebody else. Because even though they had trouble in their marriage and all that. and He was doing a lot of shady stuff. He was so doing he a had- lot of... He had too many enemies. He did. He had too many people that would potentially want to do that. And because of the way it was done and she wasn't home and they couldn't prove that she did it. I'm sure she had something to do with it, but that's just me. 
Um, okay, so the the jury deliberated for more than seven hours and obviously came back with not guilty. And of course, she said she's so relieved. And there's pictures I'll post that I got from the newspaper where she's like all smiles, walking out of the courtroom, and yeah. Yeah, I got away with it, and I get a hundred grand. Exactly. No, she didn't get it. Remember, because he couldn't pass the physical. Oh, that's right. That's right. So right. it wasn't even for the <laughs> money. But they had that trucking company, but so she didn't oh, yeah. need the money. She that's true. and she was slowly but surely taking control over that anyway because he had her. He was in trouble with the IRS and the government and all that stuff. So, so Charity did say that initially she believed that her mom was innocent, and it wasn't until Ella's murder that she started to second guess the, what she believed. So she drove to Georgia and spoke to the DA that from the prosecution, and she found a report filed by the officer that transported her mom to the station the morning of the murder. And in the report, this following statement was written. En route to the headquarters, Kyla appeared to be very calm and even appeared happy at times. When asked why the doors to the house were open, she said they stayed unlocked most of the time. She says there was a map drawn on a napkin that her mom drew with the map of the house, uh, and marked which door would be unlocked. Isn't it very interesting? That's like in our case for Roseanne Galliunas, mm-hmm. whenever um, Joyce Ayler draws the map mm-hmm. of how to get how to, the to get in. People Don't are so shady out there. No shady. shit, ma'am. Shady. So Charity believes that her dad was doing drugs and getting sloppy, and that was threatening her mom's financial security, so she eliminated the problem. Mic drop. Bam. All right, so that's the story. Uh, that's the backstory, the little rabbit hole that I went down. Um, so Charity goes on to say that she has forgiven her son for what he did, but it's an ongoing process. Um, she said that if he was free, that she would be very frightened of him. Um, she said the fact that he's incarcerated gives her peace of mind, but she does worry about him. I mean, he's a, he, you know, you know how prison is. Well, I say, you know, we hear. Well, I got to bring up my history. We, <laughs> we hear that when you hurt children and you're in prison, you're. Pound the ass prison. You're, you're targeted. Yeah. So regardless of whether or not he was 13 when it happened, he killed his little sister. So he he's in isolation. She's very insistent that she won't give up on him despite being worried about herself. She describes him as manipulative, narcissistic, but she's also quick to explain that her maternal instincts means that she puts her love for him above her anger, which I really admire her about. Of course. I I mean, mean, would you be able to still go? I don't. And put me in that situation. I don't know. Like, I I want to say yes, because that's my child, but I don't know. Like, she says that sometimes on the way to the visit, she has to say, okay, take a breath, you know, pairs, you know how he's wired. But she's not going to be that kid, that parent who who abandons their kid. Wow. I give her props to be able to do that. Completely. Okay. So fast forward to 2009. So Charity's talking about the relationship between her mom and Paris. And so her mom and Paris talk, uh, they write letters to each other. So Paris evidently gets inappropriate material for a boy who's in prison for murdering his sister from his grandmother. Gross. Mm-hmm. Like porn? Uh, uh, well, Kyla says that, his, um, so his grandmother says that her, her grandson asked for a science fiction book. So she sent it to him. I guess she didn't look at it first. Um, however, the prison rejected it because in the book, there's a picture of a woman with her breastesis. I typed that out. <laughs> breastesis exposed. But the grandmother's like, it's just a drawing. And so he Paris tells his grandmother to take the book apart and send him a chapter at a time. And when you get the pic to the picture of the bare breast, tell my cousin to just draw a bra on it. So Kyla has a daughter named Kaiman. K-H-Y-M-A-N. Did you say Kaiman? K-H-Y-M-A-N. How would you say that? Kaiman. Kaiman? In the documentary, Charity holds this book up. And she says, let's see. She starts opening the book. Raping women, murdering them, bludgeoning people to death. It's the Watchmen, the graphic novel, but it's uh, it's a cartoon. She goes, so Charity goes to the authorities and says, I don't want my mother talking to my son. She thinks it's okay to send him this shit, and it's it's not, so she just can't talk to him. They can write letters, but no more books. And then her mom in Paris decide to sue her. Oh, my God. 
God. How does his grandmother have hardly anything to do with him? I guess because she's a sociopath, too. Well, yeah. And that's what she said early on in the story, right? That they're alike. They're like-minded. Charity's mom writes a letter to her and says, It's not your job to be Paris's judge. Uh, Fuck yeah, she sure can. Calm down, Grandma. I mean... She That's her him. son. Yeah. She's the only one. Yeah. Besides the father. prison system. Well, and the, where he's if at his right now. Was still around, right. She the is the one. person. So Paris decides that he wants his mom's parental rights terminated. But her mom wanted, so they wanted to make the grandmother what the his hell mom. Is go- Did we go into like warp? It seems like, like it. Like I'm, Twilight like, Zone? You guys have to watch this documentary, although now you know everything that happens. Um, but still seeing it, yeah. it's real. She wanted to be Paris's guardian. So Paris writes Charity a letter saying that everything was her fault, they weren't good for each other, and that she needed to leave his life. We're not good for each other. We're not a couple. Yeah. yeah. We're not I'm dating. your mother, right? Like, so the trial period has ended. No, 90 days is up. Yeah. And I'm not feeling like I want to go for this a one-year no one year membership. Yeah, no, I'm no. good. I'm good. I think I'm going to... Just gonna cancel this relationship. He says, and I quote, There is nothing that really needs to be said between us. That's fine, but I'm still your mother. Exactly. I gave birth to you. No shit. So Charity tells him, It's not up to you when I can stop being your mom and when I can't. Uh, and she also told him, You need to be careful of your grandmother, that she's like you. And so Paris dropped his lawsuit. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, after Ella passed away, uh, butterflies became her symbol, right? They were everywhere. One of the preschool teachers gave Charity a picture that Ella painted of an insect um, that was a butterfly. Like it's one of the last things she did at pre-K. So they gave it to her. And then one of Charity's friends found a butterfly brooch in Charity's backyard on the day she finally went back to the house where the murder took place. So it's a butterfly thing. So in 2011... Charity founded the nonprofit Ella Foundation. Ella is an acronym for Empathy, Love, Lessons, and Action. Mm. I have chills right now. Uh, the foundation assists people involved in the criminal justice system, those affected by trauma. Charity said on the night Ella died, she vowed to do something meaningful in her daughter's memory. Uh, also, this foundation gave her a place to direct her rage uh, and sadness. In 2012... Uh, the single stay-at-home mom became pregnant with a third child named Phoenix, who is now four. He was born with severe heart defects. He had open-heart surgery when he was six days old. When Charity told Paris that Phoenix was born with a heart defect, she said he cried really, really hard. Um, She was really shocked because she never saw him cry like that. She said not over Ella, not about being in jail, but over that he did. Charity and Phoenix live in Savannah, Georgia, with Charity's mom. Uh, in the documentary, you can tell. her mom? Yeah, there's a lot of animosity, right? Why would she do that? Well, let me answer. Charity realized that if she was able to forgive Paris for the worst thing imaginable, and in order to have peace, she needed to work through things with her mom. She said, otherwise, I would just be a hypocrite. So let's live with a sociopath that killed my father? She knows what happened to Ella also hurt her mom. And Kyla admits that Ella made her a more caring person and made her wait, um, wait. <laughs> made wait. her realize she can't always have everything her way. Wait, I was like for charity. Like I was on the charity train going toot toot. I was mm-hmm. like, God blessed you now with another child. Why would you put yourself in the home with someone? Doesn't matter that she's older now. If you know that her and Paris are alike, and you know they have the same tendencies, just like he snapped and stabbed your five-year-old daughter, what makes you think that your mom may not go crazy and hire someone to kidnap and kill your son? Or do it herself. Or snap and do it. You don't know that. Why would you put your... I would cherish that child, and I would would leave the life I once knew, and I would start over fresh without my mom knowing where I was at Mm -hmm. to keep them safe. Because why would you put them in that situation? I was shocked as well. I It shows her moving out of her house. Uh, it shows her moving out of the house in Abilene. 
and then it shows her moving into this house and it shows her moving again and then it shows her like on a golf cart so her mom has a lot of money so maybe it's a money thing maybe it's a security thing a safety thing that's worth yours I, I, I don't know maybe being murdered I, I, I don't know I, I'm, I'm guessing or growing up with a sociopath what if she tried to teach your child or taught them to be like her or they live by example and they're like her and they do the same thing Paris did. Like you have to cut toxic out of your life. You have to cut that dead branch off and move on. You know? Yeah. I, I, it was very, very, very shocking. I and you're going to watch the documentary it. now, yeah, aren't you? Yeah, I am. Of um, but Charity does go to uh, go see Paris in Texas for four hour stretches as often as she can. But she is very grateful that the prison rules ban him from having visitors under age 17. So that means he can't see his stepbrother, Phoenix. Um, Maybe not now, but when he's 21 or 18, he can. She says Texas won't allow him to see Phoenix because he killed a kid. If Paris wasn't in prison or was able to meet Phoenix, I would have a lot more soul. I would have to do a lot more soul searching. But you can live in the house with the woman that killed your father. Yeah. Um, She says, because I was living with the dead, I was barely living. Phoenix really brought me back into the moment. You see how she's got very eloquent with words? I know, but God has given you another chance Mm -hmm. to open your eyes and to make a better life. And then you live with her? Like, I get it. She's your mom. Yeah. I get that. Even if she is toxic. But that doesn't mean that you have to coexist with her, you know? Yeah, I don't don't know. I I don't think I could do it. I really don't don't think think I I could. I wouldn't. I think I would be worried about, I would be worried about myself. Just people that I know in my life that have done things to people, I don't want them in my life. Nor would I let my children around them because of the way they've treated other people. You know, not even people that I may have known or or just in my life that I know. I wouldn't allow you to live with my children when you treat people that way. Because they're going to see how you treat people. And if you are older or their grandmother, right. they may want to follow example. Well, you're, like, very in, yeah. you're a very influential person in their life, being yeah. a grandmother. And you don't want that kind of an influence. They didn't really show a lot of the interaction between Charity and her mom. Maybe her mom has made amends. Maybe there's... Because there, there could have been a conversation between the two of them that wasn't on the documentary, right? Like, maybe they had words or... Like, I don't know. But that doesn't change the fact that she's made a statement that her mother and her son are alike. And her and son she believes, murdered her daughter. Well, and she believes that her mom murdered her dad. Like, she... Well, I don't think she believes her mom did it. But she even said... That her mom's not stupid and she's not gullible or naive. So mm-hmm. I'm pretty sure her mom facilitated the murder. You know, he was getting sloppy and he was doing drugs and costing them money. She eliminated the problem, basically. So I, I agree with you. I couldn't do it. I, I couldn't. So Paris does write letters to his brother, but obviously his little brother can't read them yet. And most of the content in the letters is about prison. And in the documentary, they show pictures of the envelopes and some of them are torn in half. So I don't know, like, if Charity did that or if the prison system did that or even if Phoenix did that. I don't know. But now Kyla says that she doesn't think Paris is a sociopath, even though in the beginning she said that she knew there was something wrong with him all along. So it's very, she's very contradictory. Uh, Charity does and even says that being in prison is probably making it worse and it's probably forcing him to become sociopathic just so he can survive. And I don't know if I buy into that. Like, if he's isolated and by himself, it, it maybe maybe she's saying that because he's just left alone with his thoughts, and that's all he all he has. I do, and that's true. I mean, uh, yeah, I, mean, I, I believe that. I feel, and you know, we've said this so many times that you know, people that kill people obviously have some type of mental thing going on for them to be able to just kill someone. Yeah, and I do think that you know we don't do enough for mentally ill people Mm -hmm. but that's such a hard fight to figure out you know like when someone does something and you decide like where do we put this person to punish them we could put them in a mental institution for the rest of their life I mean I think I think he being so young I don't think putting him in prison punishes him I think that just worsens his mental diagnosis and eventually either he'll snap and kill a bunch of guards or other prisoners or break out of prison and kill another Mm -hmm. civilian so a mental hospital seems better in his situation but you have people that snap they've lived an okay life they snapped they made a bad decision they need to be punished because they knew better before they did it well they were much older right 
But um, you take a 13-year-old that looks at his mom and is like, oh, you thought that killing someone mm-hmm. who ever killed your kid, it's about you want to kill him. well, yeah. what are you going to do now? Yeah. He's a sociopath. Yep. He, there's a mental problem there. And he, he did not cry at all. Like, even in the documentary, when they're asking him questions about his sister and his mom, he doesn't shed one tear at all. He is very, very cold, very shut off, and he answers the questions very... Even if he were to get out in 2047 when he's in his, what, 50s, he's not mentally well. He still has another 40 years on this earth. You want to put someone out there like that? No, he needs to be in a mental institution for life until he either can be on medication and be able to coexist in the world and live a somewhat regular life meaning yeah. he has a job and he can not hurt people and not have those thoughts or if he does that he's able to control them and see a doctor but if he can't the the prison system can't fix him that's a good segue because quotes that charity says and it pissed me off um just because i'm a texan and i don't i don't like this but she basically says if paris hurts anyone when and if he ever gets out And I quote, he can blame me, but it's on Texas because Texas has had him since he's been 13 and they've done so little to help him. And so it's obvious. It's so obvious that he he needs help. So what? It's on Texas. So what are you doing in Georgia with your new kid and your psycho mom? Yeah, no. I was like, fuck you. Texas didn't do that to him. No, no. I completely agree that because of what he did was so violent and he was so young, instead of throwing him in prison, they should have. He should have been able to be in the juvenile justice system, but see a counselor at the same time, if for no other reason to understand why. And maybe understanding why would have helped him, and maybe he would be somewhat reformed. But just throwing him in prison and doing nothing else is not the right answer. No, but as his mother, you were his advocate. Right. And where were you? Yes, you lost your daughter in a horrific way by the hands of your son. But instead of being his advocate, and going to the justice system and fighting, yes, then maybe this Ella's Foundation should have been for children that commit murder to their well, family. Well, it is about you know? it is it is about that. Okay. Right? Yeah, yeah. Okay. It, it's for people that but are. But she should be fighting for him to get where he needs to be and to get help that he needs instead of. I think she tried. Texas. No, I think she tried. No, she did blame Texas, and that was at the very end of the documentary. But when you watch it, you you. When you watch it, you see a mom or parts where she's like trying to make phone calls. And there's one part where she doesn't even know where he's at. He's being transferred from one unit to another. And for a couple of days, they don't know. They're like, well, he's in transit or, you know, they don't know. And she's like, I don't even know where my son is. And she hates it when she calls. Like she's calls and she's like, yeah, I'm, I'm calling about my son, Paris Bennett. And she goes, they always just want to know his prison number. And she goes, I want them to know that he has a name. He's not just a number. So she's like, Paris Bennett. She rattles off his prison number you know so I think she tried I think she just got I think she is just torn she wants him to get help and I think she tries but it's in vain and so much time has passed and there's so much hurt and then you know she's got another son and she's got this foundation going on that I think he's just kind of by the wayside is what I think because I mean I know right now it seems like she doesn't care but when you watch the documentary you get the impression that she does care like just, the children. Yeah, you can say a lot, but don't blame Texas. Yeah, no, I know? don't tell me that pissed me off. I was I'm like, like, you know, I'm already irritated. I was that mad. Agreed. I was mad that she went back with her mom, and then when she said that, I was like, well, fuck you, man. Right? We didn't do it. You um, were in a state that if you kill us, we kill you yeah, back. That's right. Eye for an eye, bitch. <laughs> Paris does acknowledge that he committed a monstrous crime, but he says, and this is what he says: Yes, I did commit a monstrous crime. But that does, but does that one mistake define my entire life? I don't think it does. Yes, it does. No. Where are you and no. why? The murder does not define your life. Your the action. mental diagnosis that you have that allows you to commit that crime is going to allow you to commit further crimes. Bam. That is what defines you. And Absolutely. until you remedy that or you find a way to live with that and control it, it will define you like any other disease that you have. Mm-hmm. So he admits that what he did causes people to judge him. I just did that rather quickly. <laughs> and he knows he can't change people's mind about him. But he says, just because I'm incarcerated doesn't mean that I'm worthless. It doesn't mean that I don't deserve a second chance. And I agree with that. Okay, but what actions, I agree with that. What actions are you doing to show right. that? Right, exactly. And not, like, we don't see anything. You're reading science fiction novels about how to murder and bludgeon women. 
we have another little bit of a twist. So in January of 2020, Charity revealed that her son admitted to her that he sexually assaulted his little sister before he killed her. Oh, my God. I'm going to vomit. Yes. So she has a new memoir called How Now, Butterfly, a memoir of murder, survival, and transformation. In this book that she wrote, she revealed that her son later confessed to watching hours of violent porn before sexually assaulting his sister and fatally stabbing her. Yeah, it makes my stomach hurt too. So what good does that do? I don't know. And I wondered the same thing. You know, like we already hate your son. Sorry. Like I'm maybe not hate, but I already not really a fan. Okay. Mm -hmm. He murdered your, he murdered your daughter. Then he find out you find out that he violated her. So in her memory, you want her to be known yep. that, oh, well, at first she was just sleeping. You know, like we mm-hmm. are like, okay, well, we can, uh, can swallow that. It's not so bad. It's still different. Now you tell me he awoken her, raped her, and probably did God knows what to her. Then proceeded to then violently killed kill her, her while she's awake. And obviously, he, he. So the theory is that he did that to cover up what he did, and they did and. There was evidence, and I didn't want to say it earlier because I didn't want to give it away. They did find semen on the bed, on the mattress, on the, on the sheets where she was. So what good does it do to tell you right. that? You're right. It does no it, good. It does no good. It, 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 and it only, it only tarnishes her memory. Absolutely. You know, because and even though it's not her fault, why I don't put want that, that on image. Her? No. Why put that on her? And why, I mean, not that he doesn't, he doesn't deserve it, but yeah. that's something maybe you bring up when they say, hey, we're going to do an early release of parole because he's so good. You'd be like, hold on a second. I, I got some stuff. Yeah, because so the way that came out is Charity had a diary and uh, in September of 2010, her diary entry re- revealed how she confronted her son after finding porn in the Internet history and then hearing that they found semen on her body and on the bed where she was sleeping. So it was found that he killed his sister to cover up the sexual abuse that happened that night. And only that night? I don't believe that. Um, And he admitted the more violent he became, the more excited he became, and it ended in death for her and climax for him. Oh, it makes me want to throw up. He told her that um, that he was stabbing her slowly, that it felt like stabbing a mattress or a marshmallow. Why does all that... What what is I almost didn't bring it up, but I felt like I needed to bring it up. For this reason, like I wonder too, what's the point of this? It doesn't change anything about no, what happened. No, it doesn't help. It doesn't. Well, it does. It will definitely make sure that he doesn't get out. So I get that part. But like you said, why not bring that up in one of the hearings when they're trying to get when he's trying to get out on parole mm-hmm. and say it to the the parole board, mm-hmm. not the entire and the universe. Parole, and if the parole board decides to release that this findings happened, then it wasn't you. Right. You were just protecting the civilian world. The rest of the world. You know? Right. And your sons. And and yourself. Because let's be honest, he does have a lot of hatred against his mom. Mm-hmm. You know, and he even talks about it in the documentary. Like, she's in the other room listening on headphones, and there's no love lost there. She loves him unconditionally, but I don't think it's the same way. I'm sure she's worried, and maybe that's why she's with her mom. Maybe she feels safe there. Maybe she feels like if... With Sociopath 1.0? Yeah. Like, it's... Maybe the grandmother will let him in and let him do whatever. Who knows? I don't know. Oh, I don't know. This is a little bit of a twist, but I found <laughs> there is a website called writeaprisoner.com. Have you ever heard of it? Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, he has a little blurb there. So I want to read to you what his little oh, profile says. Okay. You're ready? It says, hello. Welcome to the profile they don't want you to see. And who might they be? The other men on this site, of course. They hope to impress you with mushy words and shirtless pics. They fear you'll find my profile. We're all vying for your attention after all, and they know they'll never match my charm, wit, and vigorous sincerity. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> Awfully bold, aren't I? Beware. Prison has robbed me of the ability to bite my tongue or fear another's disdain. You may decide I'm reckless, arrogant even, but that's okay. Life's too short to mince words. In fact, I dare you'll I dare say you'll come to value my candor and self-assurance. Did he have like a thesaurus? Next no, to him? I told you this guy he has this kid has a um, IQ of 142, so Amazing. he's fucking smart. Yeah. Something tells me, sick of fleeting connections and feeble attention. Instead of texts and tweets, you can you crave real letters. 
You crave meaningful conversations. You crave a chance to discard the mask and express yourself without fear of judgment. I'd be like, what? Excuse me? No, I want texts and tweets. <laughs> Ella was laid to rest in, she's not in Abilene. She's in Georgia where they were from. So, and they've got butterflies and everything all around it. So that basically is a story. Unless you have any questions or I feel that I cover everything. Yeah, I just don't understand I, I, it is I'm, a crazy... I'm a little disappointed in the justice system that they... I am too. Because he's so young that they didn't intervene sooner, especially with it being 2007. Like, it's not like it was in the 80s. Mm-hmm. Mental mental illness is running rampant, and it makes me sad that he's spending so much time now, because it's 2020, so he's, yeah, like, 26. his entire life. I mean, his, he's spent... He's, he's, never, spent, he's never been to a prom. He's never dated a girl. I mean, think about all the things that he's he never missed driven out. a car. He's never driven a car. Well, unfortunately, that's when MJ passed away. He's been in prison as long as he's been alive on Absolutely. earth. So now he's spent half his life in the world and half his life in prison. Mm-hmm. I'm sad that he is not in a mental institution because that's where he needs to be clearly. So that is the story of little Ella Bennett. And I'll post pictures. I um, mean, she's so cute. And there are pictures of them together. Rest in peace, Ella Bennett. I, I hope you're at peace. All right. So until next until next time, thanks for supporting us, liking our page, sharing our page, liking our comments. Again, if you have ideas for stories, send them to us. That's, that's a wrap. All right. All right. Bye, y'all. Stay salty.